You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, we welcome the president of San Jose State University, Dr. Mary Papazian. San Jose State University is the oldest public university in the West. It's the founding campus of the California State University system, and it's Silicon Valley's only public university. In this episode, hear Dr. Papazian talk to us about leading a large public university at the intersection of education, business, and technology. Now, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, bringing you the brightest and most influential leaders uh, that higher education sees today. Um, Liz, how are you doing today? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm doing awesome. I had a good weekend, restful weekend. I'm doing great. Well, good. Good, good, good. Well, we're, uh, I know we talked and we're really excited because on the line, we have Dr. Mary Papazian, president of San Jose State University. Mary, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Joe. And how are you? And Liz, how are you today? Good. Thank you. Uh, Mary, I always say that I am living the dream in my basement right now. Um, <laughs> well, I'm in the laundry room, so you, you're, you're doing yeah. it actually a little bit better than I am. <laughs> yeah. for, for anybody I'm that trying thinks, to figure out, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how we go back to suits again. Yeah. Suits. Well, I'll, <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you. For anyone that thinks that the Yetup experience is a, a highly technological advanced uh, production, uh, as Liz <laughs> talked in her laundry room and I'm in my basement, we just try to make it work. Uh, and Mary, we thank you for, for your time today talking to us. Um, and we want to jump right in because, you know, you've got a, uh, you have a lot on your hands right now. Um, you know, and, and we always, before we jump in, and, and I know pe- some people probably don't like it, but, uh, but we always like to ask our guests, how are you? How's your health? How's your family uh, during this pandemic that we are currently living in? Well, I think it's great that you care. So thank you for asking. Um, uh, hanging in there, you know, we're taking care of ourselves. We're, we're trying to be mindful of, of uh, all the good protocols um, and uh, learning that you can connect to people in lots of different ways. But um, lots going on. I'll be, I'll be honest, lots of stress on a lot of people and just trying to trying to stay well um, so that we can, you know, handle things uh, as best as we can. Well, you used a, a, uh, what I like to say is the buzzword of the times right now, and that's the word mindful. Because you, as a leader of a large public university, have to be mindful of so many people, students, staff, board, business partners, stakeholders. How are you managing all of the um, – I don't even know all of the concerns and feelings and ideas of the multiple thousands of people that you're dealing with. And and how are you staying mentally healthy while you do all of that? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll say this. um, You have to have a great team. I know we always say that and it's another buzzword, but honestly, in moments like this, it's really, really true that um, I have an amazing leadership team and um, working together, there's a lot of support. And I think, I think we've been able to create that sense of um, kind of a shared commitment. And, and I hope some trust 
that we have uh, the best interests of, of everyone at the forefront of our minds. Um, but, um, you know, it's just, I think, listening a lot, um, being thoughtful, and frankly, expressing empathy, recognizing that people are going through so much, some of which we know, and, and honestly, some of which we don't. And so we just have to be empathetic, and we have to be patient. Uh, we have to be open. Uh, we have to listen in in a, in a real and genuine way, and um, and then we have to be clear about um, really what we're we're trying to do, and frankly, what we don't know. How how um, you know just staying on this on this question path just for a second. Um, you know, students are really disrupted right now. And I, I brought this up in a previous episode. One of our guests said that students are, are going through a grieving process still about their lost experiences, right? And we haven't gotten really to the fall term and we're still dealing with completions in spring and summer and, and people wondering what's going on. Have you had to invest more in services around mental health given the disruption to their, their, their lives students' lives, the social unrest, you know, the community, um, uh, the, the San Jose community, uh, you know, how have you invested more into, into that mental health component? Well, we've had to be very intentional about supporting students um, because you're right, there's so much disruption. I, um, you know, I'm actually a parent of a rising senior who was sent home from school uh, in March and is mm. looking at not being on campus for the start of her senior year. So um, I see it in a very personal way, just in terms of what my daughter and her friends are going through. And when you when you think about the impact of that on our students, uh, particularly the kinds of students who we serve at San Jose State, you know, very diverse, lots of first generation students, uh, many of whom are coming from from families where they may well have um, been significantly impacted by the economic um, pressures that we're facing as well, job losses, you name it. And so, so we have to be present and, and we have expanded, for example, uh, the tele mental health, we've kept our health and wellness center open whether physically or virtually um, throughout all of this and um, have really tried to be as as much in contact and available to students as possible i mean our student affairs team in particular has been in touch with students on a regular basis um, i i worry a lot about all those that were missing um, because you know we have 35,000 students, it's, it's hard to know if you're really reaching all of them. Um, but um, this this was already a crisis. I, I should add, by the way, mental health challenges and depression, and you know we we've been living in that in that world for a while. And and one of the things I've I've said to, to folks is that you know, so much of what we're experiencing now was actually already there. We've just put it on steroids, you know. I mean, and made it it yeah. just become so. In some ways, it's so hard and so clear and so much in front of us that it forces us to react to to respond. Um, where you know, and I'm speaking collectively here. Sometimes we, you know, it's hard, and so we look to do something else. We can't do that anymore. We've got to attend to this. And um, I really feel for these students. I will say this though: we are investing a significant amount, and we can talk more about this in ensuring that students when they do come back to take classes, whether it's remotely or not, and for us, it'll be primarily remotely, they have a good experience. And um, this is a challenge, um, but it's one that our faculty and staff is taking, is really taking seriously and working hard to, to do. 
Well, and you're going to like this because Liz is going to take over here uh, uh, in a second. But the, all this is really leading up my questions to, um, you know, uh, as we're talking about mental health and we're talking about uh, changes in our learning, we're having to adapt. Um, and and your university has uh, the ADAPT protocol, San Jose State <laughs> University ADAPT. So talk about that. What is the ADAPT model? And, and um, by the way, I love I love the graphic on your website and I love the mm -hmm. uh, sort of like the DEF CON, if you will, you know, talk about the ADAPT uh, uh, model or the ADAPT initiative and what that means to to the university and students. Yeah, and kudos, kudos to our creative team. We've got an amazing, amazing group of folks. Um, well, we, we went with the ADAPT model in part because we realized pretty early on that this was not going to be a progression to good, that it was just as possible that we, we'd have fits and starts, we'd move forward and we'd have to step back. So we had to be able to adapt to whatever the changing circumstances were. And no one knows what that is. Um, nobody has a crystal ball on, on this pandemic. So, so it really was trying to align ourselves with um, the, the guidelines from our county and from our state and from public health officials, that the health and safety of our students, our faculty, our staff, our entire community has to be, um, you know, the guiding light for us. It's, it's, uh, it's where we have to really um, be intentional and make sure there's clarity for, for folks so they, they can really anticipate what we will be doing in the next steps. Um, and then also how that impacted, you know, work, um, tele telecommuting, for example, and when employees might expect to have to come back. And if they were to come back, what would that look like? And what kinds of, um, you know, health and safety protocols would we put into place? What would the teaching and learning um, experience look like for students? And how can they anticipate that? Um, because they can, they can follow as well, you know, what's going on in our county, um, you know, what's going on in our state, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, what is the student experience going to be like? Um, you know, will students be able to live on campus? Um, do they want to live on campus, right? How are they going to interact with the various uh, student services that we have with advising and the like? And then finally, what about our researchers? Will they be able, we have a very active and robust research uh, program with our faculty and students. And, you know, what will um, be the steps to for them to return and, and so many of these other pieces that go into play. And so we, we really tried. This is a lot of work. We did this as a community. Um, you know, each of the areas, there was a sort of a small working group and then they reached out. I have what we call a presidential leadership council. It's um, it's uh, it's the cabinet, the, the the heads of divisions, but also everyone, you know, the next level down. So all the associate vice presidents, the deans, um, some of the directors, you know, chief of police, you know, um, uh, the head of the academic senate, et cetera. And we we went through this plan with them to get their input as well um, on number, you know, multiple steps. And then finally ran things through the chancellor's office at the California State University because we have a system of 23 institutions. And that led to this ADAPT plan. And, and um, I, we just did a town hall um, Thursday, this past Thursday, and we have another one coming up, I believe it's tomorrow. We had about 350 people on it and um, again, addressed the questions. Uh, they had, they sent them in ahead of time and the team, you know, um, really addressed them head on. Uh, to be as to give people as much information as we could while also recognizing that things could change um, any day. We're living in a world of change, Liz. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And and I love the idea of having something that's consistent, um, allowing the stakeholders to contribute, um, being transparent in terms of communication about what your goals are and your agenda. Uh, Joe spoke to that in terms of the response to COVID. And we are living in times where there's so much flux in terms of COVID, in terms of uh, social justice and the 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 country as a whole may be looking for more consistency, looking for a little bit more structure in terms of what's going to be next. Even if we're not 100% sure, at least having some mm -hmm. idea of what an agenda is, a plan that we can follow. So kudos to you and your team and your campus for giving that structure. Because I think a lot of schools can definitely model that in terms of providing some amount of consistency. Uh, like yourself, I'm a parent. My daughter's a sophomore in college. And it helps to have something that's structured where you know what's going to be happening for your child and, and it's not kind of just up in the air, which I know some of those things are out of our control, but if we have at least some direction. So speak to us about your response to some of the social justice. I, I was impressed by the plan that you had put into place on your campus. It seemed very concise and you had um, quite a few different areas that you wanted to address in terms of roles that you were um, initiating um, on a social justice level in terms of diversity, your task force on policing. There were quite a few areas that you were pretty uh, vocal about wanting to make change and even the, the Spartans up hand gesture, which I, I think just speaks to some of those areas because I think the great thing about the plan that you outlined was it, it goes all the way from things that are overarching, like the social justice and the police brutality and, and concerns about police on a campus, all the way down to something where that uh, a hand gesture might be something that would be considered what maybe, maybe people would call a microaggression, but are things that are still very prevalent or people are thinking about that are in some of these marginalized communities, how these things affect their quality of life on a daily basis. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure, and thanks for the question. I mean, we're living in this remarkable time where we have, um, you know, 1918 with the Spanish flu pandemic, you know, we've got um, uh, the economic depression of the 30s, and then we've got 1968 and the civil rights movement and, and all that that entails all wrapped up into one, but they are, they do intersect. And I think this is really important. And this isn't something that's new to our thinking. I mean, San Jose State, right outside of my office, we have the statues of two of our most famous alums, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, who famously, of course, raised their fist in silent protest in Mexico City in the 1968 Olympics. And mm -hmm. they're San Jose State alums, you know, we, um, have a strong history in thinking about social justice issues. We also have a history, though, in being a little bit uncomfortable with what that means. So mm -hmm. when Tommy and John came back, not everybody was proud of them. I mean, this, you know, the late 60s, the early 70s were a different time. And so really recognizing that in this diverse community in which we live, we have an obligation you know, to face these issues honestly, directly, and um, in, a, in a way that isn't making apologies, but is in fact really bringing about transformative change. Now, one of the, the um, about, um, before I came, we had a hate crimes incident that had led to a task force on, um, on, on 
racial justice, uh, racial equities. And, and we, when I came on board, we hired our first uh, uh, director of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, who um, you know has, is, has a lot of experience in this way. She used to run INCOR and that sort of thing, the National Council on Race and, and Ethnicity. And so we began a process of really looking at these issues. And we launched last year a climate survey for the campus, um, the results of which we will have in um, mid-fall. Um, and it will be presented to the campus at the same time I learn about it. I mean, this is entirely transparent. Um, we have no control over what comes out. It is what the campus thinks. And that's how we wanted it, because we, we felt that we couldn't address these issues in a real way if we weren't honest about them. And so the, the plan that you that you referenced is really a way to respond to um, the uh, the mood of the time, but more importantly, um, the essence of what it means to be a truly um, open and equitable and just campus and by by um, by role modeling what that might look like in a broader community. We can't control the community at large, but we certainly can control um, and have impact on what we do on our campus. Um, I did some really serious listening. Um, I had two um, pretty pretty tough um, in a good, you know, in a really honest way, in a raw sort of way, um, listening sessions with our black faculty and staff, 90 minutes each. Um, I, I had similar conversations with our black students, um, with uh, the, the leads of our various um, uh, uh, centers, um, Pride Center, uh, uh, Latinx Center, Black Student Center, et cetera, uh, undocument, uh, undocu Spartan Center, we call it for undocumented students, and listen to them, really trying to hear what the campus wanted. It had to be something that was embraced by the campus. And it became clear that it couldn't be one or two things. It had to be a sustained effort. I truly do believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And when we address this really um, you know, powerful injustice in our society that's been with America from its founding. If we address these issues, we will also create a better society for our Latinx students, for our indigenous population, for our LGBTQ population. A moment when we have to look at um, Black Lives Matter, at our Black students uh, and staff and faculty, and um, and really be intentional about it. And so the plan that you that that you referenced really does that. It's uh, the the policing is actually it was a request I got with many signatures from faculty and staff saying, could you look at this? Now we have a you know a police chief that we hired last year who's committed to community policing, and we were already beginning that conversation. So this is actually going to be a collaborative effort um, that looks at community safety and policing to make sure that we're really, uh, you know, providing the kind of environment that will allow all of our students, all of our faculty, all of our, our staff to thrive. And, um, and the commitment to the, the hiring, we're hiring an additional trainer um, in the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And we're also hiring a Director of Racial Justice, um, which will be part of my community and government relations team out of the Office of the President. Um, but we will also have lots of distributed and grassroots activities. The Provost's Office, um, they've, they are working with the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion on an um, to really understand the promotion and tenure and mentorship process for faculty of color. 
uh, to make sure that we're not just attracting faculty here, but we're also supporting these faculty to be successful. Uh, and we understand what their particular paths uh, look like and, and so much more. So I'm, I, um, I think this is some of the most important work that we're doing. And, um, you know, it's going to be a journey. It's not always going to be easy. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see this as something quick that you check off some boxes. I think it has to be a sustained um, commitment by the, by the campus as a whole, and that's what we're trying to do. You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hey guys, this is Joe, and I just want to remind you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. On the website, you're going to find all of our past episodes that we've done with some of the top leaders in higher education today, talking about innovations, ideas, and issues facing our industry today, finding out what may happen in the future, what higher ed needs to look like moving forward. So again, check out www.edupexperience.com. Now, let's get back to the action. Absolutely. That's so admirable. I, I want to touch on, before I hand it back to Joe, another uh, issue that you have been vocal about stepping up about and being uh, proactive on, which was the, the housing insecurity, uh, if I think it was more so last year. But I was thinking mm-hmm. as I was um, looking at um, some of those uh, grants and, and different um, initiatives that you were trying to uh, champion in your on your campus, in, the, in your area, that even now going into COVID and, and after COVID, when things start to hopefully regain some sense of normalcy, we're going to see a lot of housing insecurity. We're going to see a lot of students that are struggling, maybe that, you know, with family that may have had disruption in between income or students that uh, may not have the same maybe on-campus jobs as they did before. Talk to us a little bit about that initiative and, and what led you to be so um, proactive in terms of addressing that um, with your campus and, and in your area. Yeah, thank you. We um, uh, Well, we're right here in the heart of Silicon Valley in, in San Jose, which is the most expensive housing market in the country. So uh, we, we, we know what those, those pressures are like. Um, and there's huge disparities in our society because of that. I mean, this is a huge regional problem in Silicon Valley. Lots of really smart people, uh, you know, trying to come up with strategies to address it. We realize, of course, that um, the impact on our students, but also on our faculty and staff is really significant. And we had to figure out a way to address it. I want to give kudos to our students, though, um, particularly our, our, our Student Housing Alliance. It's a group of students who came together um, you know, and said, we need to do better. We need to find a way so that students are not sleeping in cars and you know, oh. homeless and that sort of thing. And uh, they pressured us to, to, take, to really address it. And we worked with this group um, and we said, we don't need to just address one piece for faculty or staff or students. We need to think about a comprehensive solution that really addresses all of it and, um, and, and lead by, by finding real solutions. So, our, so we, we're looking at a number of things. On, on the faculty side, look, we can, um, you know, we're part of a, a public university system. We have statewide contracts. Um, and, you know, as a public university, our, our, our ability to pay salaries is, is limited, right? So we, 
So we have the salary structure that's that's been agreed upon, and and that's all all fine and good. But the same dollars don't go as far in San Jose as they might go in um, you know other parts of the state. And so um, so we realize that to attract a particularly diverse faculty, but all faculty, um, to attract and keep staff. You think about it, tradespeople and others who, you know, who don't have those big incomes. We're not talking senior staff. We're talking about all of our staff. We need to find a more affordable way. We need to take cost out for them. And that meant trying to think more creatively about housing. And so one of the features of this comprehensive strategy, um, we worked with our, our local state senator, Jim Bell, who's been who's an alum and has been an incredible supporter, and with our local assemblyman, Ash Kalra, and, you know, worked with um, uh, state officials uh, and the chancellor's office. And ultimately, we were able to um, uh, be able to develop a piece of property that's a state state property right near campus um, where we will be able to create under market uh, housing. We're hoping it's about 75% of market that's targeted uh -huh. for our faculty, our staff and graduate students. We have 20, almost somewhere about 23% of our students uh, to uh, our graduate students. We have about 8,000 graduate students at San Jose State. And so, you know, there's, there's a certain kind of housing that you, you would have for faculty, staff, you know, graduate students. And so that was, that's really what that property is for. And that's in the, in the design and planning stages right now with a 2025 occupancy. For students, we've created um, first some rapid response um, with the support of the, of the Cal State University Chancellor's Office, as well as the state that provided funding, where we could immediately provide emergency aid to students um, who uh, were under stress. Um, who were, you know, needed a bridge loan or were, you know, at various points of, of finding themselves without a roof over their heads, setting aside beds in the residence halls to support them, um, this kind of thing. But also working with partners, um, you know, in, in the region, uh, we're an opportunity zone in downtown San Jose, you know, to see if there are ways to, um, uh, to create additional housing for students that also would be at a price point that, um, that we can help them afford. And so it's looking at both the immediate, but also the longer term challenges, um, you know, by creating housing close by for the entire community, students, faculty, and staff. Oh, interesting. And I think this, I'm sure Joe will agree with me, this goes to what we talk about on the podcast all the time is that higher education, we need to integrate ourselves more into the community and still um, provide solutions and, and, and not just be so isolated and, and only so focused on what's going on just in our immediate sphere, but really looking at how we can really make the community a better place, how we can outreach, how we can find solutions, because we should be creative, we should be innovating, we should be coming up with, and just as you were talking about that, I'm like, wow, that is just such a creative and innovative idea. And if I think in, we talk about it on the podcast all the time, myself and Joe, sometimes education, higher education gets kind of like a little bit of a bad rap. It's like we're kind of an ivory tower and we're not thinking about how we can offer our, we have so much brain power on our campuses and what can we do to make our communities better. So kudos to you guys for really, um, I probably sound like I'm fangirling and gushing right now, but I'm, I'm like super like jazzed because that is awesome. 
Well, I'll say this too, Liz, if you don't mind my jumping in here. I, um, you know, we're, we're literally right in the heart of downtown San Jose. San Jose is the 10th largest city in America. It's bigger than San Francisco. People don't realize it. It's the third largest city in California after Los Angeles and San Diego. So this is a very big urban center, and we're literally in, in the heart. I can see City Hall from my, um, from my office. And, um, you know, we, it, with the housing that we're building will bring people into downtown, which will help to create a more dynamic life in downtown. Now, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic has really, you know, um, created a lot of stress, you know, in, in this city, just as it has in cities across America. But um, prior to that, and on the other side of that, you know, having um, our community there, you, you walk, you know, we're we're literally you walk the community walks through our campus all the time we share a library with the city of san jose for goodness sakes and so we are really part of the um of the community our students do a tremendous amount of um you know community service and service learning through our center for engagement uh and our community um and you know we it's part of our identity and our commitment and um, more than just being a part and, a, and uh, you know, a piece of the fabric, we also want to be, to your point, part of the solution. And we're talking, just as an example, this pandemic has made clear, again, something we've all known has been there, um, but it's pretty um, stark, and that's the digital divide, the lack of reliable broadband in urban and rural centers. Uh, parts of parts of you know our our region, our state, you know our country, and so we're actually working with the county, using our you know our brain power, our expertise in IT and other areas to help them think about how to create, you know a, a great broadband system for the the county of Santa Clara. You know what we we have tremendous faculty, you know very engaged in policy and other areas and. Let's bring their uh, huge engineering school. We we supply, we're the pipeline of talent to Silicon Valley. I mean, we supply that pipeline. So lots of innovative people thinking, students, to help find solutions to really tough problems. And that's our commitment. That's our, That has to be our role. That divides real. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that you said that's most impactful, and you can go back to a few minutes ago where you said, you know, the, the dollars in, in San Jose don't go as far as they do in other parts of, of California or the country. And, and that's a, a, a very real thing to consider um, as somebody who lives in Southern California um, when there's a little bit of a shock of California pricing in general. And I'm not just talking about the price of education. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the price of gas price of groceries. And so that, that creates the housing prices that creates an even bigger divide, um, particularly for underserved populations. And, and so uh, great point in the housing is, is incredible. Just uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, you're, you're leading a, a, a large institution, uh, Mary, you're, you're in the heart of Silicon Valley, as you suggest, you know, I think for our listeners, everybody, um, and not everyone, but the majority of people who I've spoken to that uh, among our listener base are really trying to get information out of college and university presidents to understand what's happening. So what are the current trends out there uh, in terms of enrollment? You know, uh, are you seeing gap year considerations? Are you seeing a reluctance to accept online education? Are you seeing 
you know, uh, uh, embracing of online education. I am giving you examples, but I'm sure you know better than I do. What are those trends out there that you're seeing as you're getting closer to fall uh, at your university? Yeah, it's and this is going to vary from uh, across the country and from the types of institutions. As a um, a large public university um, in the heart of a major urban center, uh, with a a pretty um, you know good price point, the Cal State University has uh, you know tuition fees are one of the lowest in the country, and um, and a very a striving um, student population, diverse, you know, eight, you know, we are escalators of social mobility. I mean, I think institutions like ours are where the American dream still lives, to be honest. And, and so um, what we're finding is this, that our, first our enrollment staff has worked phenomenally hard on this. They've had to rethink everything they've done they ran, we usually do an admitted Spartan day. Uh, we get 10,000 people on campus. They transitioned that whole thing to a virtual model that they did over the course of a week with all kinds of interactive video and this and that. It was unbelievable. They've done the same thing for orientation, our academic side, the deans, the faculty, the chairs, they've been there, you know, advisors, you, you name it. And so it, there's been a real commitment to meet students where they are. And I think that's what you have to do in this, in this time. God, and I think we're going to have to do that going forward, by the way. I think some of the things we're doing now will become part of what we do going forward. We can't emerge from this looking like we were when we went into it. Um, and so there's been a tremendous amount of work there. We're seeing that our, um, our freshman numbers are a little bit under where they were last year, but they're close to the target we wanted. They're not bad. Um, our transfer numbers are up, actually. Uh, you know, we have this robust community college system in, in California, and, you know, we're seeing yeah. um, real success on the transfer side, and our transfer students are performing incredibly well. Um, we're seeing uh, a, a actual increases in average unit loads um, in our continuing students. So the continuing student FTES is up. Um, that's and so that's all good. Yeah, it's um, it's actually gone up by I don't remember what the latest numbers are, but it's about three percent, maybe four um, percent. I mean, hypothetically, that has to do with 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 home time or or more screen time or more discretionary time, right? Whether because they're it, doing some online learning. It could be that. It could be that. And the fact is, they can fit it all in now um, because they're not rushing, driving, you know, going to, uh, you know, doing, losing a lot of time and other things. Um, uh, we also put everything, we made it clear before they registered that these were going to be online classes, which ones were and which small number. We have about 9% right now that are probably going to still be in person. Um, that may shrink a little bit by the time we get to the fall, to be honest with you, but, um, but you get the sense it's, it's about 91% um, at least are going to be virtual. They knew that when they enrolled and we're still getting higher numbers. Um, and then the, the, but I'll tell you where we're hitting the drop because we're you're here in the Bay area in Silicon Valley, we have a very large number of international students. As a matter of fact, for Campuses in our sort of category, um, you know, we um, are, are like the number one, um, you know, with international. We're the 10th most international students in the state of California after a lot of the UCs, Stanford, USC. So, you know, it's, um, 
we, I mean, we have about 35, uh, close to sometimes close to 4,000 students international. We're seeing a huge drop in new internationals. Um, continuing international students are okay because many of them were already in this country. Of course, you know, the latest, um, you know, what we just went through with ICE and, and uh, right. uh, new rules and all that, I mean, that's still creating a, a lot of um, anxiety there. Uncertainty. So we, mm-hmm. you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, well, I won't even say what that was, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a huge hit. And I, I worry a lot about what will happen on the international side um, and what um, what choices will be made from students who haven't even applied to come here from other places. Because again, we live in a, in um, you know, in the heart of the global innovation economy and our students here who are our, our, our local students, they benefit from having international students. For some of them, you know, they don't have the experience of going internationally, but they're being working in an international company and they, they are learning it from each other. And um, it's, um, but that's where we're seeing the real drops. Now, you know, we're working really hard to keep those numbers where they are. Um, and uh, what will happen between now and, and the fall, I, you know, will things change? Probably. How? I couldn't quite tell you. We are seeing a drop in the number of students who want to live in housing um, as the spikes are continuing and the surges uh, here in California. All of a sudden, people are like, you know, I don't think I really do want to be there. So that's, um, you know, that's a reality we're, we're facing as well. Okay. Um, Liz, do you have any further questions for Mary? I guess my last question would be a, a little bit of a selfish, gratuitous question. <laughs> about your background in um, English, because I'm an English uh, instructor, and I just wanted you to briefly talk about it, um, about how that informs how you're able to make the connections. There was, um, I think you spoke out about the idea of the liberal arts education since you're in the Bay Area, yeah. a lot of technology and the STEM. How do you, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk now about return on investment, and should we student soft skills or do they need to have more tech skills? What is your outlook on that and, and how were you able to navigate that coming from a liberal arts background like I do? Well, Liz, that's a, there's a whole podcast in that one. So I really appreciate <laughs> the question because I love talking about this. So, so here's, here's the funny thing. So when I was appointed, when my appointment was uh, announced as president of San Jose State, because we're known, um, particularly in the Bay Area, as a pipeline for talent for Silicon Valley companies, um, I mean, Gordon Moore of Moore's Law, famous in Silicon Valley, you know, spent his first two years at San Jose State, met his wife here. She graduated from here. I mean, we've been at the core of the development of Silicon Valley, you know, um, for the last 50 years. Uh, so they're like, why are they appointing a English professor to head the <laughs> Silicon Valley? Hey. And I said, I said, no, no, no. And it was just fair question you know I said first of all you know we're not a technical school you know right. um, but I said when was the last great age of innovation because I'm a renaissance scholar mm-hmm. and I said it was the renaissance think about all the ways we learned about learning you know we learned about you know William Harvey and the discovery of the circulation of the blood you know mm-hmm. um, you know the the um, Sir Francis Bacon and the scientific method for goodness sakes Galileo and the universe <laughs> right the Copernican revolution you name it right there were so many things that changed and it was the integration of all different perspectives that create real innovation 
what we're finding now in technology, more humanities and social science majors are hired in Silicon Valley than STEM majors. People don't know that because you need both. You need both, you know, and human-centered design now and, you know, lots of the leaders of these companies are actually, you know, come from a, a humanities background. It's, it's the ability to, you know, to see the, the bigger picture, to make connections, to communicate, and when you to work with people. And when you talk to leading employers um, in this valley and elsewhere, they all say that that's ultimately what they want. And um, so we're really, I think, institutions that are looking to, to um, you know, cut their liberal arts, uh, their humanities, I think it's a mistake. Certainly in this world, in this fourth digital technological revolution, this digital world, digital economy needs humanists more than ever mm-hmm. um, to work in partnership with our scientists and our, our engineers um, and, and our, our data folks. And, the, you know, if I'm creating artificial intelligence, I want somebody who's going to think about what impact that has on our community. And, and um, you know, so it's, it's the application of these things from a, from a human perspective, from a community perspective. If you don't have the humanities, if you don't have the social sciences there uh, as part of that conversation, it's not happening. And um, and so that's why I, I think it's really important. And I, I, I'd like I think this integration of learning is ultimately what we really need. Great point. Um, Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I, I think uh, if, if, if anything has shown us the importance of human skills over the last six months, mm-hmm. I don't know what could have painted a clear picture of our ability to necessity to be with one another collaborate and be human that's that's a great point uh, but mary we're gonna we're gonna um get to our final question um and this has been an amazing uh episode for us but uh, two okay. two things number one um, what do you think is the future of higher education okay there's the easy one right uh the the, the uh the other one is is, is um after you answer that is there anything that we missed about your institution that you would like to talk about? Anything at all, um, whether it's, it's your positioning or uh, ability to help others or staff, faculty, anything that you want to say about uh, San Jose State University, uh, and then we'll finish up. So let me, let me start with the second question first, and then I'll answer the, the future of, of higher ed, because I think institutions like San Jose State are really well positioned to think about the future of learning and the future of higher education. You know, we're the oldest public university in the West, but we're the only public university in the heart of Silicon Valley, in the heart of innovation. And we really think in those terms about, um, you know, what is the future going to look like? Because we see it in these companies all around us. We sort of breathe that air. And, and it really is about creating, um, you know, an environment for, for a diverse population. We, we, want, we need to meet students where they are. At San Jose State, we, we think about engaging these, these diverse students, these first-gen students, these aspiring students, um, you know, in really thinking about the big questions of our day. 
how are we going to solve the big questions, whether it's climate change or, you know, the way technology is sort of taking over our world or the health disparities or, or you name it. There's, there's so many that we could, we could choose. But how do we engage um, in thinking about these problems? And putting problem solving at the front of it, I think, is, is going to be a really critical part of the way we, we, we think about learning um, and, and meeting students where they are. Uh, students um, are, you know, one of the, if you will, silver linings. Uh, I, I hate to use that word because there's so much suffering. It doesn't seem like anything can much be a silver lining today. But, you know, the students who are learning and taking classes in a digital environment right now, and we have over a thousand faculty engaged in a summer online certificate program that we created that is inclusive, that is, you know, gives them options on how to design courses, over a thousand to be prepared to offer an engaged experience for students in the fall. So a real commitment to that. But think about what this will do for students. They will yeah. learn, many of them, again, coming from underserved communities where there are tremendous um, digital disparities, right, who may not feel they're very good at learning in an online environment. The more experience they have with, with um, you know, engaged, supportive faculty to learn how to learn and to be successful in an online environment, all these companies around us, big, small, what are they doing? You, know, you heard Twitter and you heard Facebook and those just the big ones. They are letting employees work in different modes. They want to work from home forever they can at Twitter, right? So for our students, going into the job market to have the experience now of being able to learn and thrive and work on teams, right, on projects in a virtual environment will just make them more competitive. And this is going to be really important as we try to close the gaps in tech, for example, which impacts all of us. And they've had a lot of trouble creating real diverse pipelines. So we see this as a role we can play. Um, but we have to understand that students will come to us in different ways, and we have to go to where they are. It's going to be more hybrid, you know, more outreach, um, you know, more, I think, we talk about interdisciplinary, we never do it very well, but we really do have to think about putting the problem at the center of the learning and let students figure it out, right, working together in teams, because that's what the employer workforce is going to be like. That's and right. with the guidance of, you know, the experience, the wisdom um, of the support of faculty. Uh, and I think we can get there, but it's, um, this is a time to be very innovative and creative about the way we develop curriculum. And, uh, and I come from a very traditional background. I mean, I'm a Renaissance literature scholar, for goodness sakes. You know, that's about as traditional as they get. But we can be innovative even within that. Wow. Well said. Well, thank you so much. That, uh, incredible um, uh, answers. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, you and Liz can talk offline on the English. <laughs> oh, we will. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sit that one out. And, um, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, that, that, but uh, this is. Joe, you're uh, welcome. Uh, we'll take you. Yeah, come you know. in. Yeah, don't you're worry. Welcome. If I'm not anything, I am a leader who learns, and I'll and I'll learn uh, from you guys. Uh, but this has been incredible, inspirational. 
Um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mary Papazian. I got I got to get it right um, for your time um, and attention uh, from San, uh, President of San Jose State University. Thirty-five thousand students making a difference every day. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Liz, thank you. Mary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Mary Papazian, president of San Jose State University. Uh, wow, Liz, that's all I can say. Uh, what do you think, <laughs> Mary, and what she had to say? She killed it. She had so many good things to say, and, and I think my biggest takeaway was just the clarity of her planning. You you talked to it in terms of the COVID and, and just the whole, like, Anyone that wants to see what a COVID plan needs to look like, a response plan, go on their website because it was just like laid out the graphics. Like literally my five-year-old son could have clicked and and seen exactly where you needed to go about math. Okay, go here. If you see about social distance, go here. It it literally laid out everything that they're going to be doing and exactly how they're going to be. And regardless of um, how things plan out in the fall or how they pan out in the fall, the fact that they are planning in terms of the COVID um, response, and even though they're doing online, looking at ways that they need to um, enhance safety on campus and things of that nature, they're looking at the social justice issues and talking about policing on campus and, and how they can better uh, recruit minority students and, and retain black uh, faculty and just addressing all these issues and having concrete measures and in, in task force and, and different uh, agendas in place. I was really impressed by that because I think in higher education, we talk a good game about what we want to accomplish. And we talk about it with the students, right? We're like, you have to have your outline, you have to have this, you have to have just stuff it all the time. But then at that leadership level, sometimes I just don't see that. I feel as though there's not enough planning, transparency, just laid out point by point by point. What are you going to do? And then get the feedback from the stakeholders so we can give our input and then go back to the drawing board and um, improve it if need be and get that feedback. And she spoke to all of those. And, and I think that's, that's what being a leader is about. You want to incorporate these kinds of um, action plans, right? What did you think? Yeah. And I mean, the fact that she recognized her staff right away uh, was incredible. You know, she's mm-hmm. extremely well-spoken. You could tell Absolutely. in her mind, she sees the future of some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, she's a, a futurist. Um, you yeah. know, she's looking at she's looking at Silicon Valley. She's looking at the teaching and learning, and she's looking at the future. She's looking at the benefits of online learning. I, I, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, thank you for coming on and, t- and talking about that. Um, and, and then, you know, just her overall sort of aura, um, you know, commands respect. Is a, Absolutely. A woman you want to talk to and, um, and shoot ideas around with. So, uh, by the way, uh, my big, other big takeaway from this episode, and I've heard it in previous episodes, uh, is that uh, Liz Liba, you call COVID the COVID, which is extremely interesting. Um, and <laughs> don't know why, but we'll get into that in another episode of the Edit Experience. Uh, Liz, thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. And, uh, Thank you, Del. <laughs> yep. Until next time, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And 
If you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.